From the campus of Harvard Medical School, this is Think Research, a podcast devoted to the stories behind clinical research. I'm Abby. And I'm Brendan, and we're your hosts. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. And by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Every day, we walk by and interact with nature that can offer solutions to complex problems. On today's episode, join us as we talk to Dr. Ben Friedman about his research, which focuses on the design and synthesis of adhesive biomaterials for applications in orthopedic, cardiovascular, and neurosurgeries. Dr. Ben Friedman is a research associate with Dr. David Mooney's lab at the Wies Institute at Harvard University. Hi, Dr. Friedman. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to start by asking what led you to research, um, and then we can talk about the work you're doing now and where you hope this will lead in the future. So um, can you talk to us about how you got your start in research, a bit about your background and interests that led you up to your work today? Yeah, definitely. So kind of growing up, I was always interested in kind of the sciences. Um, I like to kind of build things. I remember building this kind of toy robot that was turned into a life-size robot. And I didn't really like the design of the wrist of the robot. I didn't think it allowed enough degrees of, of, of freedom and motion like a normal human wrist. So I added some motors so it could move in multiple dimensions. And I think that might have been an early sign that I was destined to be a biomedical engineer. You know, in high school, I was definitely interested in, in the science. It's not really sure if I want to go to medical school or, or what. Um, and when I was looking at undergrad programs, the field of biomedical engineering was really um, expanding quite a bit. There were a number of new BME programs that were being formed, um, and it seemed like the really perfect blend of engineering and medicine. And that's what really led me to pursue an undergrad degree in biomedical engineering. Got involved with research relatively early on in, in undergrad years, ranging from a a bunch of different areas, not necessarily biomaterials or adhesives at that point in time, um, but you know things ranging from trying to model different stresses in the knee joint um, using different finite element modeling techniques to looking at new imaging modalities to study motion of, of joints in, in the human body to even some more biological aspects involving mechanisms of, of joint replacement failure. And you know for all these areas, kind of cover the full spectrum of, of multi-skill uh, properties uh, within within the body. Um, and it really motivated me to uh, want to pursue a, a PhD in biomedical engineering and bioengineering. So I, I transitioned from University of Rochester, spent a couple summers at the NIH to uh, the University of Pennsylvania um, to basically uh, do my PhD in bioengineering. Um, and there I had a special focus in understanding tendon and ligament healing. And uh, we basically conducted a number of, of different types of studies during that period of time trying to uh, basically understand why tendons um, become injured. Um, and if there might be some simple strategies that we can do um, to further improve the healing process by tuning um, different surgical procedures or post-op rehab strategies. And that work was really provided an awesome foundation for me, uh, but I want to take a step deeper to try to understand if we could think about developing new therapies to improve the healing process. And it led me to Harvard and the Wies Institute to work with uh, David Mooney um, to uh, really try to develop new biomaterial strategies to try to improve healing 
um, and really diverse tissue surfaces still have a specific focus and tendon. But it was really during this time that we realized that, you know, an adhesive uh, material that could attach directly to tendon surfaces, given their motion and dynamic nature, would really be um, something important to try to improve uh, tissue healing. So that's kind of what inspired a lot of our ongoing work and efforts, thinking about novel hydrogel-based adhesives for tendon and other tissues throughout the body. Wow. That is pretty impressive, even from childhood. I love the story about the robot and creating more movement in the wrist. That's fantastic. Um, so we were reading about your collaborative research with uh, Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. And can you tell us about your research and get a little more into that? Yeah, so I think I came into you know my postdoc, you know, very focused in orthopedics, and you know, quickly realized that there was a lot of opportunities um, in this work beyond orthopedics. Um, actually, one of the biggest things that got me, you know, really interested in joining Professor Mooney's lab initially was, you know, all the exciting projects that were taking place within orthopedics and other areas involving, you know, virtually every disease state. I think in, in the in the body. So I think it really broadened my understanding for different indications that you know these materials could be used for. Um, and then we've also really been fortunate to have a number of, of exciting collaborators and interest from a number of different uh, researchers and other groups within the, the Boston area and, and uh, really the whole country for trying to apply these materials in, in different ways. So um, within the Harvard ecosystem, we have a number of collaborators within the School of Engineering. Um, we collaborate with many different uh, surgical specialties at all the major hospitals in Boston, you know, ranging from, you know, the cardiovascular space, the orthopedic space, neurosurgery, dermatology, and, and beyond. Can you take us a little bit more into and talk a bit more about replicating elements of nature into scientific innovations? Yeah, great question. So we do a lot of work, um, not only with the School of Engineering, but also with the Wiese Institute, and um, it's the Wiese Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering. So a lot of the work that we do is really founded on the concept that nature has, has figured out um, some of the most complicated engineering strategies. It's really the nature is really the world's most powerful engineer that's been innovating since the beginning of time. And we try to use some concepts from nature to uh, try to inspire the design of new materials. So in, in our case, um, we turned to nature um, and looked at some natural adhesives um, that have really incredible adhesive properties. We try to use some of those features of nature to you know, not only better understand uh, some of the limitations of existing commercial adhesives, but also uh, begin to think about how we can use those same design principles in our materials. And when we turned to nature here, we were inspired by the adhesive slime secreted by the dusky Aryan slug. And this slug, as you may know, when it becomes threatened, um, it secretes a highly sticky and thick mucus that prevents it from being taken away by a predator. And this elastic uh, and, and tough slime is basically um, composed of a dual network of many proteins, ions, and sugars that give the slime um, really incredible uh, matrix mechanical properties that basically help it stay in place and prevent it from being taken away by a predator in times of trouble. Basically, there's a whole host of slug researchers that have analyzed the composition of this mucus and have identified its, its composition, but also its mechanical properties. And the mechanical properties of slug slime are actually quite interesting. They're, uh, the materials are, are quite tough. You can pull slug slime 10 to 15 times its length before breaking. And you know it has this dual interpenetrating network. So we, we kind of said, oh, that's interesting. You know, at, at the time in the lab, there was already a material that had similar 
toughness properties. We call it a tough hydrogel. It was a system that was developed before my time in the lab in collaboration with Jigang uh, Sulu's lab um, and Dave Mooney's lab. And basically this material um, has really unprecedented toughness and stretchability for hydrogel systems. Most hydrogels are relatively weak or brittle in tension. This material, you can stretch it 20 times its initial length without breaking. Um, it's actually stretch stretchier than a rubber band, and it's about 90% water. And it's interesting because if you look at the composition of silic slime, it's also about 90% water, and it has a dual network just like our material. So we said, oh, that's interesting. You know, What if we could use the high toughness properties of this base material and try to couple it to tissues? So through a series of studies, and um, the papers now uh, have been accepted for a past a few years, um, a postdoc in the lab had, had done this, a big screen of potential ways to couple this tough hydrogel to tissues and identified that uh, basically a layer of, of chitosan uh, was the ideal candidate to do the job. And this bridging polymer would diffuse into the gel and tissue surface and then form strong adhesion through really a multi-component adhesion strategy involving electrostatic interactions, physical interpenetration, and covalent bonding. And we basically have been expanding upon the system over the past few years uh, during my postdoc in the lab to basically investigate new strategies to take the materials to the next level. So we've been exploring things like making the materials degrade over time, thinking about ways that we can apply them to all sorts of other indications and disease states throughout the body, making the materials serve as drug or cell delivery systems um, and beyond. So there's a, a lot of interesting things that we're working on to create the next generation of these tough hydrogels and, and tough adhesive materials. Um, and we're really excited for some of the data that we've been collecting so far, and I think it has some exciting opportunities for improving tissue healing inside and outside the body. That is incredible. So I have kind of, it may even be a bit of a silly question. How do you even know what to study, right? To your point about nature is the best engineer, um, and kind of, there are a lot of things that you can figure out from that. And then you're talking about the slug. How do you get to the point of thinking about, oh, a slug may be the solution? You know, that, that, that's, that's a fantastic question. You know, there are some other, you know, adhesives that are out there in nature. And what's different about the slug is that, you know, when you look at the existing commercial product, um, you know, there's been a lot of focus on, on exclusively trying to understand properties of the adhesive features of these materials um, and making really strong, you know, adhesion. But usually the issue is, is that these existing technologies may have very strong adhesion, but the matrix that makes up that adhesive is actually relatively weak. So the materials fail cohesively. And the difference with our strategy here is that we're, you know, trying to think about a material that's actually stretchable, that has high toughness to prevent that failure of the matrix. Um, and really, once you do that, you're able to then take kind of the level of, of overall interfacial toughness and adhesion um, that you can generate to the next level. Great. So we were able to meet you because you participated in one of our hybrid courses, Transcend, which is a course for medical device developers looking to bring a device to market. Um, can you briefly discuss your experience and how it benefited your work? Yeah. So um, yeah, about, probably about a year or so ago, we applied to the 2021 Transcend program you know, as a medical device, uh, you know, we were excited to have, you know, gain more expertise in thinking about, you know, how to uh, translate technologies and transcend seemed like a really fantastic fit, you know, geared towards med device and, and establishing kind of the community of other uh, researchers and entrepreneurs in that space. Um, so we really enjoyed going through the transcend program. 
there's a lot of details I know online about the, the week to weeks uh, syllabus and things like that with the program. Um, but, you know, to highlight it at a high level, um, you know, the program was great to further pressure test our our concepts for um, how to translate um, and, and, and hopefully commercialize our technology. Um, it gave us additional feedback on our pitch deck. Um, the program also was really beneficial in putting together other you know, documents, uh, whether that be an executive summary or things like that, that are also important um, in terms of summarizing the work concisely. And then, you know, just getting feedback on giving, you know, a successful pitch, um, hearing other, you know, case reports of, of other entrepreneurs and, and academic entrepreneurs um, at Harvard and, and the other areas uh, sharing their experiences um, in translation, how they approach technologies in their own lab and, and began exploring ways to um, get them out of the lab and hopefully in, you know, into the hands of, of, of people and patients that, that need the technologies. So you know, hearing similar stories, building that community, I think has been the most valuable part of going through the Transcend course. Perfect. Um, what future plans do you have for the work you are doing? You know, we're ultimately, you know, interested in in being able to, you know, answer some really interesting basic science questions with our technologies, but also some really important translational questions. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get the technology out there into the hands of patients at some time in the future. Um, a couple of years ago, um, one component of the materials uh, in the dental space was licensed to a company in Florida called Amen Surgical. So those materials um, in that specific area will be translated uh, definitely in the dental space to improve different cases within oral surgery. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Um, in parallel, um, we are actively exploring opportunities for our materials to be used in other areas inside and outside the body um, to try to improve the healing process. So um, you know, through the experiences in Transcend and other, you know, programs within the Harvard ecosystem and beyond, we're actively um, trying to uh, translate these materials and take the necessary steps, um, hopefully to get approval from major organizations like the FDA and beyond. Um, and hopefully at some point um, in the future, um, these materials may be available uh, to surgeons to use um, for a lot of these different interesting and exciting um, uh, unmet needs um, that, that they currently are faced with. Incredible. Um, for aspiring researchers and medical device developers, what parting wisdom would you like to share from your experiences? You know, my, a lot of my training is in on, on the academic side. You know, during PhD years, you definitely learn a lot of, of new things involving the scientific method, conducting experiments, you know, asking fundamental questions that can be tested with hypotheses. Um, what's interesting that you know, all, you know, in the same space, you also use some of these same skill sets. Um, we we received a grant from the NSF ICOR program, um, which was fantastic, focused on customer discovery, and you know, just like we said, and, and we th try to think about our hypotheses for doing scientific experiments. You do the same thing um, with customer discovery. Um, you have a hypothesis, um, you know, who might you know, for example, buy, buy the technology, um, and you try to test that hypothesis, or you have a hypothesis that you need to go to a certain stakeholder uh, for a certain question. You know, a lot of those things actually apply if you're in academic research or if you're um, thinking about um, entrepreneurship. Another important feature of all this is, is talking to people, making sure you're talking to, you know, di di diverse audiences and, and groups, folks that will, you know, be really excited about the technology, but also those that will challenge you, you know, for whether the technology will be adopted. I think that's a big part of the, the med device space that may be overlooked um, uh, historically, but it's, um, you know, I think now really super important to really identify those that are really passionate about and excited about the technology, but also those that will challenge, you know, how easily it may be adopted, because I think those are all really important questions to ask upfront. 
Um, I think there's also a number of things to consider, you know, as kind of, you know, if you're transitioning or thinking even about um, academic research in the context of, of translation for how to best design studies to optimize resource use and things like that. There's a number of guidelines and considerations from major organizations, whether that be the FDA or ISO or ASTM for how to best conduct studies um, so that, you know, you're designing studies that align with um, accepted standards. Um, this is, you know, super important for optimizing resource use, as well as just really making the most of, of time and, and designing studies appropriately so that you can save time down the road. I think those are really important considerations. And then also, you know, thinking about, you know, what, what are the necessary established preclinical models that it will take to get something translated? I think you can, if you do the upfront work, you know, on the regulatory side, even if you're not necessarily immediately considering translation, I think it's still beneficial um, to have those discussions early to see, you know, for minor tweaks that you can make sure you're doing studies in the best established models, model systems, and not over-interpreting simpler model systems. Um, if you're really having an eye towards towards translation of your work, you know, within the academic setting and, and beyond. I think I think the other important thing is that, you know, the, the time it takes to establish different relationships with groups, whether that be other, you know, stakeholders, clinicians, folks in, in major companies, these things all take time. So, you know, you always have to be thinking about, you know, building your network, um, trying to, I remember I was hearing other folks talk in the space saying they, you know, try to meet somebody every few weeks. You know, I think now we try to meet some multiple people new every week, if not every day, um, because there's just so many folks that are involved, so many important opinions and thoughts that are important in this process. So you just have to go out there and, and not be afraid to chat with people, have your ideas uh, be challenged and just keep pushing forward because, um, you know, there's thousands of people that will tell you something can't, cannot be done, but you just have to keep pushing through and find the best way to um, make things come to life. Thank you for that parting wisdom and thank you for joining us for the podcast. It's really been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Thanks so much again for having me. Th thanks again for this opportunity. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. Thank you.